This is Outside the Round with Matt Barrill, a Rage Rowdy podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Outside the Round. It's your boy, Matt Barrill, and today we've got a very special episode. Uh, So as you guys may have seen, we launched a brand new podcast in the Rage Rowdy Podcast Network this week. We have got Behind the Music Biz with our longtime forever Rage Rowdy intern, uh, a kid that's rising in the music business. We got our boy, Mr. Peyton Heaven. Peyton is going to be co-hosting today's episode with me. And I've got one of my favorite guys in town because we come from the same part of the country. We understand bagels. We understand Taylor Ham. We understand pizza. We pull hard for teams like the Yankees, the Rangers, all the New York stuff. Uh, he's a guy that spent years on the road, is now in town managing and just crushing it and has a great story to tell. And um, we're going to be talking a lot of music business stuff, life stuff with him. We've got our boy, Mr. Jim Prisco. Jim, how the hell are you doing, my man? Doing good, man. Real good. I was hanging out. Just got back from Salt Lake. What were you doing? What were you doing out there? A big convention for like uh, fairs and festivals. Oh, nice! Yeah, so uh, one of the guys from the Neil Agency, Brian Carruthers. And, oh, dude, love Brian. Good dude. Yeah, and he's like one of the best people on the planet, like for real. So him and I took Ella out there, and we did a little showcase at Dave and Buster's. It was pretty cool. And then uh, we just walked around and hung out with a bunch of folks. Dude, that is so cool to do a showcase at Dave and Buster's. Like, I grew up doing that shit at the Palisades Mall in West <laughs> Nyack, New York. I spent a lot of time at the Dave yeah. and Buster's. I know that spot. Yeah, dude. So that's that's cool to be out there for. And you talk about Ella Langley you, right now. You and we'll get into kind of your history, how you got started with everything. But right now, two artists you're working with with Workhorse. That's freaking awesome. Thanks. Ella Langley and Wyatt McCubbin, two longtime members of the Razor Rowdy family. It's so cool to see Ella doing what she's doing, especially because she's like my little sister, bro. Yeah. You know, the, the main thing for us is, you know, finding these folks that are genuine and real people. And I think that's where it really starts. And Ella is the most genuine, good person that you can ever find on the planet. So, you know, working with her was absolutely a layup of an idea. And then Wyatt, we met him. Well, I met him back in beginning of 2021, I guess. And we just hit it off real well, became good buddies. So it only made sense. So. Hell yeah, dude. Well. Peyton, you kind of want to show what you do on the Music Business Podcast and uh, Behind the Music Biz and ask ask Mr. Jim about his story? Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, just, I kind of curious how you got started from, like, your background of your childhood and what kind of got you interested in music. Uh, all right, well, uh, so I grew up on Long Island, New York. Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was going to school for art education. That was the thing that I was really passionate about. Uh, some things kind of changed on, on how that was going to work out in college and decided to, you know, take a step back. Uh, I got into a really weird car accident and I was pretty much bedridden for a little while. And, um, this is probably, I guess like 2000 into 2001 and, uh, you know, internet was kind of like a new thing, which is kind of weird to think about like that's 23 years ago. So, wow. yeah, it's crazy. I'm old as shit. <laughs> Can I say shit? Fuck yes, on here? No, you oh, said- tight. <laughs> Shit, fuck, <laughs> cock, balls, whatever you want. Hell yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so uh, long story short on that, I mean, uh, I just started working with like little bands out of Long Island. And, you know, I played back in the late 90s and like really terrible, like hardcore bands, and rock bands. Like we were awful, like the worst. And um, I was like, well, there's got to be a better way of staying in this industry than playing in these like crappy bars and 
just didn't work out for like at least my path. It wasn't going to be that way. So I ended up getting into that car accident and I answered like some like little website ad on Vagrant Records, which to me was like the Holy Grail record label back then. Like growing up in the punk scene, that was to me, that was like the Holy Grail. And uh, I remember I get this phone call from a from a, from an L.A. number. I was like, oh, this is like a prank or whatever. And it's this guy, Wayne, Wayne Pagini. Wayne calls and he's like, hey, man, uh, my name's Wayne Pagini. I'm from L.A. and I work for Vagrant Records. I was like, fuck you. And I hung up on him. I, <laughs> I thought for sure that it was like BS. Like there's no way like some record yeah. label dude from like the Holy Grail is going to call me up. And he called me right back. And he's like, nobody ever hungs up on me. I was like, all right. And he's like, this is for real. Like, if this, we want to do this thing, like, what we're going to do is uh, we're starting a uh, street team. And uh, I know that you've been working around with, like, some of the artists that are out there. And we would like to try and expand this thing. And it's a little bit more than just a street team. I was like, all right, well, what does that look like? He's like, well, you're basically would be the New York rep for Vagrant Records. And I was like, okay. So we're, like, servicing like sales and POS and like remember I don't know if you guys remember this but Best Buy used to have like ads like circulars every week. Yep. Oh yeah. It'd be like 9.99 like Alkaline Trio new record. So I had to make sure that the locals were taking care of that local record label um, record shops like all that stuff like that was me. Yeah, wow. So um so I worked with this like prior to that I was working a little bit with this newer artist that uh got signed to Warner uh called Glassjaw. And they asked me to do some street team stuff. And that was like the, the ignition for me. Like once I knew that I liked that stuff, like that's when I tried to apply for this vagrant thing, got that. And it expanded from Long Island to New York into Manhattan. And then I started servicing upstate New York a little bit, like probably where you're from. Yep, and Rockland County, Palisades yeah. Mall. We yeah, had a right. Best Buy. <laughs> yeah, dude, so Palisades, like I've been up there all the way up to like uh, Albany. was wow. like basically like that was my footprint. And yeah. then I got to meet some folks in like Northern Jersey and then we all meshed and this is about the time like when all these hardcore and and uh like what people call like emo bands were picking up like uh i don't know like alkaline trio get up kids and um i don't know under oath like those bands were yeah. like, all coming under oath was huge in the northeast bro yeah like and yeah that's the thing is like that was the the culture that we fell into and, and i was there for till about like 2006 and i moved out of new york to san diego and just kind of started new you know, after 9-11, all that stuff, it was really a weird time in New York for me, at yeah. least. And, I, and we had some family stuff going on with my mom being sick. I, I was like, well, I'm going to take some time to kind of like rebrand myself and what I'm trying to do and and just kind of expand it from there. Yeah, dude. So. San Diego, hell of a place to live. I've, I've only That's the only place in California that I've been is San Diego. And it is lives up to the hype, dude. especially yeah. back then. Dude, that Beautiful. place rips. I heard it's the best place in California. If you're going to go anywhere in California, it's San Diego. Go to La Jolla Beach. Go to the Gaslight District. Yeah. It's just the best street tacos you'll oh, ever dude. have. I'm telling you, man. Like, So I lived in uh, North Park, which is like, I guess what you would call like the East Nashville of San Diego. So I had like my local bar I'd go to all time called Livewire. And I was on El Cajon Boulevard. Get hammered there and then walk two blocks over to this place, a little Mexican spot called Kalima's, and just crush bean burritos all the time. Oh, yes. I miss it so much. So sounds, damn expensive. brutal. Dude, no, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, street team stuff's cool. It's cool to hear you had that background because I was a street teamer, but for a radio station. 
Damn. And it was at the end of at the before radio really started downsizing. So I was I was the the Joe Schmo at the local 5K in Central Jersey, which, by the way, Central New Jersey does exist. North and South Jersey deny its existence, but it does exist. And I would set up and and be under the tent and like telling people. So was it like that for music where you're just you're you're the man on the street and you're just letting people know about music that they're paying you to tell them about kind of thing or what yeah i mean it was like as simple as just going to other shows and just papering everybody on the line so it'd be like here's flyers for shows that are coming up here's new records that are be be dropped uh like some easter eggs and stickers and like all kinds of stuff like that like because back then marketing was a lot different too it was like guerrilla marketing was crazy like on the streets so like we were doing stuff in like Asbury Park. Oh yeah. So there was this like festival called Skate and Surf, and it turned into uh, Bamboozle. Oh yeah, Bamboozle. You remember that? Fantastic. Yes. Yeah, great dude. festival. It was awesome. So we had a lot of bands out there, and uh, we were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Like I got crazy stories about that stuff. Like we would have street teams like set up. I don't know if I should. Talk, whatever it doesn't matter. This is old. <laughs> so we would have these like big posters that were like twenty feet tall, and we would send them all the way up the telephone poles. So you look for like a mile down the Broadwalk and it was just like Alkaline Trio coming out soon and then go into all the hotels there and put like door hangers that we created. So it was like really weird marketing stuff. So I like I learned a lot of outside the box stuff from them. And uh, in that transition from going from New York to San Diego, uh, I was on Warp Tour for a couple of years uh, doing some stuff with Vagrant. Uh, I met a bunch of bands on there and, and um, there was this band out of St. Louis that uh, I met. Uh, where were we? I think we were like Virginia Beach and there was a hurricane coming, which is like the normal warp tour thing. And, and we had like freaking the book. Like you had to look at where the hell you were going. You didn't have GPS back then. You're just like, oh shit. <laughs> so these two guys came out. It was Britain and uh, I think Charlie and uh, this guy Adam, which is now DJ Adam. Adam. Oh, oh Adam. You know yeah, Adam? Yeah. Oh, I know Adam. Yeah. He was in a punk band back no then. No shit. I mean, you look at him, it makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. he's he, he looks like a guy that was in the punk He's band. that guy. Yeah. So they're like, hey, man, are you going to Warp Tour? I'm like, yeah, we're driving over there right now. They're like, oh, we're lost. We don't, we can't figure out where to go. So we ended up going there. I'll, I'll tell you this because it, it leads to something. So we get to Virginia Beach. Hurricane cleared out. We do the show. And I became really close with those guys. And I ended up like pseudo tour managing them and doing their merch and some of that like guerrilla marketing stuff. Went from there to, uh, <laughs> to trying to do stuff like online like we were doing with Vagrant, but on like a bigger scale. So we were following like... Good Charlotte, Green Day. Wow. So, you know, I don't think that that was completely legal to do that stuff, but it was also kind of funny because we were walking around with, like, headphones and CD players, like, hey, listen to this song. Like, I know that you're going to love it. So uh, we did the Good Charlotte thing, and we ended up on on Green Day. It was funny because, you know, our, a friend of ours, Tom, this guy Tom, God bless him, he, I think he's passed by now, but we were out there, uh, you know, selling CDs and f and we were start trying to, like, you sell and we got in trouble for it. And Trey cool comes out with his security guard on a golf cart. And <laughs> no I, was like, shit. I was like, Oh God. And then Tom comes out. He's like, what are you guys doing? He's like, Oh my God, it's you guys. I'm like, Tom, <laughs> what's up, man? Cause we knew him from warp tour. He yeah. was like the merch guy for that. So anyway, long story short, you know, he's like, all right, uh, what are you guys doing? We're doing this. And he's like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, well, I could tell you where all the bootleg is happening. He's like, what do you mean bootleggers? I said, the bootleggers on this street, this street over there and over where the the bridge and he's like you fucking stay right here and i was like okay he goes comes back he's like all right you guys can hang and stay <laughs> they go back into the arena uh, the stadium and uh we ended up staying on that in full entire tour like the whole summer 
And I ended up in San Diego, uh, and that's how I moved there was through tour because I didn't have money back then to like pay to move. Yes, yeah, I remember watching the Warp Tour stuff. Like they had the TV show on on Fuse. Yeah, it was about the, the roadies that were on the Warp Tour. And yeah. then I spent a lot of time in my touring days in a bandwagon, and I know bandwagon was a huge proponent. Like that was kind of how they got their start was along things like Warp Tour, Mayhem Fest, things like in that era of stuff. So touring in those days, like that's. Especially like a big tour like that in a rock in the rock scene where it's not like country. Country has it very easy compared to what rock can be at times, you know. Especially like back then, like you're really oh back then it was crazy. It's a fucking grind, dude. Like well, it's nuts. It still is, but back then was like the heyday of it. Yeah, I you're right. I mean, it's it's crazy then because I mean. I'm old as shit, so I remember like having to do like cell phones barely worked. We had like sidekicks. Yeah. Like flip oh yeah, flip flip it up. Dex, yeah. yeah. So we just had to try and figure out how to get from place to place with damn books, and then a little bit of GPS, I guess. But I remember, oh my god, that's true. So like there would be parts of like driving from like say like I don't know like Little Rock to wherever like Memphis, and you're like, sorry, mom, I can't talk to you right now. Like cell phone's gonna go out, and it's like. Dead spot, and you're like, nowadays that's not a thing, yeah, and no GPS, exactly right. It's like, God, it's crazy, but um, but yeah, that's that's the story with that. And uh, the Green Day thing was crazy, so anyway, from from Green Day, uh, I met this person, her name was Alicia, and she was working for a company called Tribal Brands, and I don't think that they exist anymore. And I think they they came up with the technology that has like Shazam, yeah, so back then, like VCast, like one of my clients, it ended up becoming after meeting Alicia was Verizon. So they would have this tour bus out there and it would show all these kids like, you know, what cool things you can download on your phones back then. And, and, um, just being the weird New York dude out there, I'm like, Hey, you know, it'd be cool is if we get Adam, Adam out there and play a couple of acoustic songs for losers luck in front of all these patrons that might do well for y'all. And they're like, all right, we'll do that. So we did that. And we, then that was like another like big leap into my career because, my friend Britton Campbell, which now he works for uh, G7 Marketing, which is like a great marketing company out here in, in Nashville. Um, so, yeah, we started doing that stuff. And I ended up getting a phone call after that that year of Warp Tour and that Green Day Tour. And uh, they're like, hey, uh, we want you to work with this new artist and uh, market them. I'm like, OK, who is it? And uh, I was work <laughs> I was walking in around in a blockbuster at the time with my ex. And uh, I was like, Jonas Brothers, who's that? And they're like, yeah, it's the, they're like, a, and they're like, it is a new band. And I was like, yeah, they're a new band. That's cool. And the girl was like, my girlfriend was like, what did you say? I said, I don't know. They're asking me to go on tour with these new guys, uh, Jonas Brothers. And she's like, yeah, that's them right there. And it was on like the freaking TV everywhere on this blockbuster they were at. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. I'm like, How much does it pay? Because back then I was getting paid like stupid nothing, like five bucks a sh like a day. Yeah. Like my like you were talking about bandwagon stuff, man. I wish to God we were on that stuff. Oh, like, you guys were a van or, or SUV or sedan, bro, bro. My first year touring, I was in a Jeep Wrangler drop top with no trailer, just dying for ten weeks on warp. <laughs> Sucked. And then I did like the van thing, just living on top of the transmission that would just feel like a thousand degrees and like your computer would melt. Sucked. Jeez. So anyway, I go out on this Jonas thing, and when we started with them. Uh, Ironically enough, Britton Campbell from Loser's Luck and Adam's uh, drummer, he and I got together and jumped on that thing with a couple other guys, and we were doing like Verizon in stores with them, and they couldn't even sell like 500 tickets back then. And they're like, "All right, well, this went well, so now we're gonna do six weeks 
uh, I think it was like six week contract in like these little clubs. I'm like sick. So we do one show and they're like, yep, we're rerouting everything. And it's now uh, theaters. I'm like, okay, cool. And it's like, now it's an additional eight weeks on top of that. I'm like sick. So we just kept, everything kept changing. And, and that first year for Jonas, everything was just skyrocketing. And we ended up going from little tiny in stores to doing arenas in like one year. It was wild. It's unheard of. Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, we were out there for about uh, three years and we, we were using that like Shazam technology back then, which it wasn't called that. And just showing all these fans like how to do that. And what it was cool about that technology back then, I think it still kind of works the same way. You know, sound scan was so important. And uh, for anybody that doesn't know what sound scan is, basically it's, it's an industry way of trying to figure out how many records you sold or, yeah. or singles. So we found this like weird little loophole that was legit where if someone downloaded a ringtone back then, like boom, got them. That like counted as a, as a, scan, a sound scan. So we would just be out there in front of like two, three, four thousand kids every day just playing these songs and everybody would just download the songs for free and they would just cultivate this huge marketing thing. I'm like, dude, this is exactly what I want to be doing. Because the whole reason why I got into the industry was to try and figure out ways to uh, build revenue creatively to get these artists and bands enough money to have like a production, like a big show that their fans deserve. And I think that there's something to be said about that type of energy. If you have like a big show and you're throwing out all this energy and the crowd feels it and they send it back, that's a pretty cool experience. So to me, like I, that was what always drove me to trying to help. And you know, that I went from working for marketing companies into working for labels and, and then artists. Yeah. So how long were you with Jonas Brothers? Cause that, that's a big, that's a, that's a generational gig right there. And you were right at the inception of it. Yeah. So my thing with Jonas is that I was working for tribal on, on that like marketing tour bus. I got a funny story about that too. So, uh, and it had like, it was a wrap with like their faces on it, like all that. And, um, we were there, I think I jumped off after three years. I think Britain stayed there for an extra year. I think he was down there on that fourth year in like 2009. But uh, funny story about the tour bus. I can't. So uh, <laughs> I was going to try and out one of our buddies real quick. So anyway, so it was funny about this. Like we had a, a the tour bus was wrapped with their faces and we were in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. Oh, God bless. God yeah. bless Reading. Is that, dude, is that dude, the arena out there? No, worse. Uh, it was a Hooters that we parked at because we didn't have money to go, like spend money on hotels sometimes. Yeah. So we're just like, well, just kick it on the bus. Why not? Like, it's cool. So I wake up one morning kick the door open i look outside the out door and i see this girl write her phone number on there i'm like oh fuck this is gonna be something this is gonna turn into something this is like the first week of us having a tour bus like the big tour uh i can't remember what the name of that tour is offhand well i guess we'll put fix that in post yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh so i call up my folks over at tribal and i was like hey i think we got like a thing that we gotta try and figure out here i was like this girl just wrote her phone number on here i think it's gonna turn into something so either we erase it or we let it rip. So my group that we were with, we all kind of talked about it and we just figured out, well, we could either erase it and try to fight against the current or we could try to keep it and see what happens. And dude, like we played Hershey, Pennsylvania, like that old stadium that's out there. Yep. That's like from 1845. Oh, whenever yeah. it was open. And, uh, and dude, it was covered that night. I mean, it was like 2000 autographs, like just blasted, <laughs> like numbers and like all kinds of stuff. Now, fast forward two weeks. I'm like, we got a problem. Like there's spray paint showing up. Sons of bitches coming out with knives, like carving their, their freaking numbers and shitting on there. Uh, like my bus driver, dude, that poor dude. 
uh, what was his name? We called him Parkway. So Parkway. <laughs> <laughs> I love bus drivers. Dude, They're my favorite. Well, Parkway got his name because he drove on like the Long Island Expressway, took the wrong turn to Jones Beach, and ripped off every single air conditioner unit <laughs> off the top of the bus on that Parkway leading there. Anybody watching this that knows Jones Beach, shout out to your air conditioners that might fall off yes. if you take the wrong turn. Yes. Yep. God. So anyway, Parkway was like, these sons of bitches to keep spray painting their names on the freaking windshield. I'm like, oh, dude, I'm like, that's kind of the game, I guess. And he's just scraping the shit off every show <laughs> with a razor blade before we leave. Anyway, uh, we ended up in like People Magazine, Teen Beat, whatever those like tiger things are. There, uh, And it's funny now, like, looking back, like we're, I'm working with like folks that are from that generation. Like they were huge fans then. And uh, I won't out you right now, girl, but she is like a friend of mine. She goes, wait a minute. Like you were, that was your bus. I said, yeah. She's like, oh, fuck. I wrote on that bus. I wrote on it. I wrote my name. I put my number on it. And I said, I bet you did. She's like, I am so embarrassed. And she's like, there's no way that it was. And I like picked up, like picked up my Facebook and I was like, is this a picture that looks familiar? It was like three girls, like doing some kind of like uh, cheerleader thing and just spray painting their freaking name on the tour bus. Anyway, that first tour, $15,000 worth of damage. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, like my folks up top were like, dude, like that's crazy. We're like, that's $15,000 of damage. Uh, like, I don't know like how we can justify that. I was like, well, we did end up in like all these like really cool magazines. That's pretty rad. They come back and they're like, yeah, it was worth millions of dollars worth of press. <laughs> I'm like, cool. So the following year, we did it again and destroyed that bus. That bus, I, God help that bus. Like, I mean, the acetone in spray paint alone, you want to screw somebody up, just spray that on somebody's tires and it just eats the tires away. Like, that's how dangerous this shit was. It's crazy. <laughs> Where'd you go after Jonas Brothers? Is that, that, that Jonas Brothers stuff? That's crazy. I don't know what, where you go after yeah, that. Yeah, it's hard to come off of. Gosh, I don't know. Where, where did I go? Jonas? I think, oh, I remember now. Yeah, so I, I spent some time in, in San Diego, uh, some time off from the road, just trying to just recoup. Uh, meet new folks or whatever. Um, and then where did I end up? Where did I go? So Jonas Brothers. And then I, oh, that's what it was. So I get a phone call from Britton Campbell again. This dude, he's going to be all over this podcast. Sorry, bro. Uh, <laughs> we love you, Brittany. Yeah, we do love him. He's a great guy. Uh, he calls me up. He's like, he's always like, oh, I can do anything I want, which is, he, it's him. He's driven. And he's like, hey, man, I just got this. <laughs> I just got this new job. I was like, yeah, sick. What is it? He's like, uh, I'm working with uh, Keith Urban. I'm like, okay, sick. He's like, you want to jump on there? I'm like, yeah, that's cool. So we go out and do this two-week tour called No Frills. And uh, Stephen Fraley was uh, like our tour manager on that. And uh, it was cool, dude. Like took Keith Urban 2009 when he was like selling out arenas. We put him in like places like Joe's on Weed and like small, oh, yeah. the, but some of the best clubs that you can yeah. go to. We love shout out to Ed Warman, dude. Joe's on Weed, one of the best. We love Chicago, bro. Dude, Ed Ed's a beast. I, oh, he I love is. him. He's a saint. We love him. Angel, <laughs> yes. angel man. So uh, yeah, we did stuff like that, which was so rad because you know real fans of Keith got to see him in such an intimate setting that they haven't seen in so long, and that was also sponsored by Verizon and Samsung and BlackBerry. And, uh, I mean, we would have lines. I can't remember exactly how you were able to get into it, but it, I think you had to go to a Verizon store, sign up for it, do all that stuff, and then and then you got free tickets to it. And then after that, there was, like, another two to 3,000 people just camped out outside hoping to get inside this thing. So we did that for two weeks. I came back home, 
and uh, there were some folks that we had to uh, let go uh, for doing some stuff that they shouldn't have been doing with uh, Verizon logos outside of a uh, a House of Blues with Keith Urban's face on the on the tour bus. So they went and did some other stuff, and I ended up uh, hiring some other folks, and uh, we went out and did I think like ten months, like on a full arena tour. Wow. Yeah, it was the same thing as we were doing with Jonas Brothers, but it was in the country scene. So I was like, oh, this that was like my first step into country music. And uh, I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. Get back to San Diego, uh, take some time off a little bit again. And then Britton calls me again. He's like, hey, man, <laughs> I've got another artist for us to work for. And I was like, really? He's like, well, actually, I'm doing it. And I said, okay, thanks. And he's like, uh, yeah, I'm working with Cracker Barrel. I'm like, hell yeah, that's cool. That's, that's good eating right there. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm recreating the Cracker Barrel front porch. I'm like, what do you mean by that? He goes, yeah. Uh, I'm literally taking four by fours and rebuilding the porch every single show. I'm like, that's crazy. How many people do you have on the road? Because back on Jonas and Keith Urban and, and Green Day and all those guys, I mean, I think we had 12 people on that tour bus and it was like our own thing. He was just attached to this tour by himself and had locals help him. I was like, dude, you're going to call me back in like 10 days and you're going to be like, yo, dude, I can't do this by myself. He's like, no, you, no, I got it. I'm like, okay. So he calls me back. He's like, all right. You're right. I need you. I was like, all right, well, who's the artist? He goes, uh, Brad Paisley. Damn. I'm like, what's up? <laughs> now nah, you know where this is going to go. I'm like, I don't know who the fuck that is. Uh, who is that? And he's like, he's a country artist. I'm like, okay, uh, pay good. And he goes, yeah. I was like, when do you need me to start? He goes, uh, four days from now. I'm like, sick. I'll be there. Uh, he goes, uh, do you have a passport? I said, nope. He goes, oh, shit. It starts in Toronto. <sighs> yeah, that's cool. I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. And he's like, dude, you're in San Diego. You might be able to get a passport right away. So I drive down to the passport office through like my validation ticket. It told me that I was there for an hour and 37 minutes with the freaking book in hand. And the following day I flew out to Toronto and kicked off uh, Brad Paisley. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know how you can even do that. Like, could you do that now? I don't no, think so. I just no. got my passport. It took eight, like eight weeks or something like that. It's crazy. Jesus, dude. But that's the sign. Everything's real, yeah, though, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. Like literally, oh, ev- yeah. it's the journey. Like everything happens for a reason. And Brad Paisley at that time. So those years, that's like what, like 2010, 2011? We're looking at. Uh, so let's see. Keith was 09. Uh, Brad was either 12 into 13. It was the Beat the Summer tour. Yep, I was. I went to shows at the. I, I saw that show at um, in Homedale, Homedale, New Jersey, PNC. Um, at PNC Bank Art Center. I think down at the old Ses- Susquehanna Bank Center. It's been called the Tweeter Center. A bunch of different stuff um, yeah. in Camden, New Jersey. Oh, I yeah, Camden. Because that. that was my senior year of college. Like that was when last last time for everything. And yeah, all those songs were out. And I remember that being that tour was that was like the production on that tour when he would have the kid come up and like do like it was like Mario Kart or something right yeah so yeah he was doing some of that stuff and then it, it led into i think beat the summer and they brought out uh dj silver yep that was one oh, of his shit. first gigs dude and i love dj silver dude like you want to talk about like a homie out there that really cares about people that are out yes, here in Nashville? such a good guy yes yeah he's great so they would do this thing where like brad would do some type of uh little guitar lick and it was uh and then and then dj would you try and like match it it was like a little battle thing it was kind of cool I was like, wow, this production is kind of wild, man. Like, this reminds me of stuff that we were doing in the rock world. And, and like, I got really into that. And, uh, and that's where we, so I, I was with Brad for, I don't know, I don't know, about two years. So I did the, the uh, Cracker Barrel thing. Then we came back for Craft. So as you can see, like, my career went from working for 
you know, bands to record label and then into like entertainment marketing. And I found like pretty good passion in that. And uh, Brad's dad, Doug, he ended up calling me uh, to have me come out and be his uh, production assistant for Brad because, you know, Brad's camp, they, they're really good people and they want to make sure that their, their people are taken care of. And, and once they find someone that they like, they want to make sure that they, they have them in like that circle. So Doug hit me up and asked me to be the PA and, um, and Doug, he's, he's a good guy. He and I always cut it up and I was like, I ain't working for you just to mess with him. He's like, come on, Jimmy, you gotta play, you gotta, you gotta work with me. And I was like, all right, we'll do it. So I got there and, and uh, I met a lot of folks through that, through that, that experience and a lot of bands like, uh, I think Lindsay L, uh, Chase Bryant. Yep. Uh, they were on that tour and, um, eventually I think Dustin Lynch was on the following year. So a lot of good acts. I mean, Kane Brown was an opener on, on Brad. Yep. Yeah. I remember all those shows. Like I remember seeing all those guys and Lindsay open up those shows i remember Lindsay did the uh would do the meet and greet at the merch table at the sheds after her performance like in in between sets like that's right that's that those are like that's when i started getting into country music so it's really cool to hear you were on the other side the other side of that that's fucking awesome it's wild man and and, you know to talk about brad i mean he's just such a good steward of trying to help all these like newer young artists like treats them well pays them well i mean what a great platform to be on from from that time period and uh, I was with Brad until probably 2000, yeah, 2019. And, um, you know, there was this guy that I kept hearing rumors about. His name is Riley Green. And uh, I was like, oh, Riley Green. And he's like, dude from Alabama. Uh, what's, his, what's his story about? And they're like, oh, he's just starting out. And I think like that March of 2019, I get a phone call and uh, we're told like who's, who's on the road with us. And I think it was Riley and maybe Dustin Lynch. No, it was uh, uh, Chris Lane. Yep. Because I'm on that. And uh, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder who Riley's tour manager is. And it ended up was like an interim dude, the JW with Sam Hunt. Yep. So I was like, JW, what are you up to? And he's like, I'm just filling in right now. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, you know, I, I might want to try to be a tour manager at some point, you know, try to go through that road. Because my goal was, was always to try and figure out ways of, of learning every aspect of the business. So I had a little bit of management experience prior to that. I was working with a, uh, a hip hop artist and um, I worked with him for about two years, helping him get his career off the ground and, and continuing that thing. Um, so anyway, Riley and I got along real well that summer. And uh, ironically enough, PNC was the day I was like, I was like, hey, man, I'm just putting this out here and raising my hand. Like, I'd like to try to tour manage you if that's a thing that you're interested in. And he's like, well, I, I want to talk to you about that, too. So. Let's try and figure it out. And then before I knew it, I was just tour managing it like in that September. And, um, and we were just out there. And what a great crew to be in. So I've heard a lot of stories about the Riley days through Ben Miller from oh, my yeah. time on the road with Trey. And, oh, ben. and he's and just seeing that explosion go from a talk about like a grassroots guy like Riley Green coming up from literally playing at places in Auburn, Tuscaloosa, like a state in Alabama where I'm very familiar with playing at the Florabama sitting outside the venues in the parking lot and the pickup truck, like playing, playing acoustically and having those, those pre social media, like viral moments almost. And just going from such a regional act to where he's at now. And you got to see all that shit. Like, yeah. I mean, I I felt like it was kind of the story would repeat itself for me. Like I felt like I was working with a lot of these artists that were just starting off and then we get to a certain point and it just popped. So, and I saw that a mile away with, you know, people like Kane, 
Like you saw, you knew where it was going to, where his career was going to go before it, it was there yet. And the same thing with Riley. I knew from the moment I watched him, I was like, that, that dude's going to be a freaking star. It's going to yeah. happen. So for me to be part of that, like I was really stoked to be part of that. I mean, it was cool. I mean, we were in the trenches, like Ben Miller can tell you all those type of war stories. And, you know, we were playing all these like smaller clubs, which was kind of crazy because I sort of skipped all that because I, I did all that stuff in the hardcore scene, but not in country music. So, you know, I'm going to do like Texas club and places oh, like that. I love Baton Rouge, bro. Yes. <laughs> that place rips. It's so funny. It does. Oh yeah. And they got the Piccadilly for the, for the catering down there. Oh That's yeah, right. dude. Hell yeah. So, you know, you was getting to do those things and, you know, the, the road to Billy Bob's and you know oh, stuff like that. Dude, like best barbecue. Billy yes. Bob. Billy Bob's. It's interesting. Billy Bob's like I've been telling Nikki T. I got to get him down there because Nikki's never been to Texas. How? I know. What? I know. I've been all through been all through Texas and got to do Billy Bob's with, uh, with Muscadine Bloodline back in the day. And it's interesting because people are sitting at the, the picnic tables. You know, it's a yeah. different it's a different kind of vibe, but it is such a and you go in the backstage area and then there's like all the, the cattle like it has that stockyard vibe to it. And then like the hands on the on the wall and like the girls like lipstick and shit like the guys that have played that have sold it out and like things like that. It's just a wild, yeah, wild place. Yeah. What, what he's talking about is like all these uh, it's like what is it concrete back yep. there and you can see the hands are just like black from people's hands just keep touching them so you're yep. like all right that person was really like co wetzel has lots of lipstick on what? his parker mccollum lots of oh, lipstick okay. on his you know george Strait, lots of lipstick on his there might be some foundation on there too yes they, they get really into that they, <laughs> they really that do shit. that's some texas <laughs> stuff for sure dude. dude what was what was one of your favorite clubs to go to back in those days oh man that is an unfair question to ask i love all of them equally uh i would say i think billy bobs is cool because it's that's that's like a spot that you need to do that and green hall yes green hall dude yeah. like that's the willie door yeah. yeah just hilarious just just like just a a historical spot see i'm a history guy yeah. so i love stuff like that i'm like are you serious like oh. we're gonna have to crawl through this little window thing then you love the rave eagle club talk about history that place is the cursed ghost tour bro <laughs> Ghost adventures need to be in there. Oh, I mean, dude, they take you on the little tour. I remember going in that. We went right went right after all the Mac Miller stuff had the, happened. Yeah, the death pool. Yeah, dude. we went down because I was there in 2019, right before COVID. Yep, and they still have that thing on there. I took a picture. You want to know something that's really crazy about that? Uh, do, do you, like, look at it really well? Yes, yeah. Do you notice where he signed that thing? It's like... Well, it's, dude, it's wild. So, you know, he's part of, like, the 27 Club. Yes. Okay, so I think if I remember correctly, it's... He signed it between the 25th marker and the 30th, right between. Then it gets even crazier. The depth of the water there, it says six feet. And then three days later, he like I think it was like three days later, then he passed away. So that's like the twenty like twenty-seven. Yep. Six feet under. Six feet under. Like it gave me chill. Like I was like, no way. I'm a really good friend of mine. And I know that you guys know him, Sam Crabtree. He's like, yo. Oh, yeah. Sam's like, yo, bro, look at this. I'm like, oh my God. That like to me, that's crazy to have like that type of foreshadowing. Uh, but yeah, the rave. I think there's like three different uh, three venues four. in there. And then was there were there other shows going on when you were there? Oh yeah, no doubt. I was gonna say for us, we were in the small bar bar stage with Muscadine. We had uh, we had Farron Rachel's out with us, and there was like a um, like a it was like Galantis or like a big EDM band in the yeah. ballroom so we're loading out and you just see these kids boom, boom, dangling boom. out the window just tripping on all kinds of stuff and you just <laughs> like you hear like muskan playing port swing angel and then upstairs you just hear boom 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 it was crazy dude i love that love that place 
Yeah, that's there was definitely some of that stuff. I don't remember who was up there though, uh, because with, with Riley, I think we've played every single stage in there. Wow. And, uh, the last time, I don't think anybody's supposed to know this. I went into the boiler room underneath the pool by yourself. Somebody walked me in there. I was gonna say. <laughs> I brought, <laughs> I brought uh, Charlie Diaz, Riley's guitar, newer, newer guitar player, down there. I was like, "Hey, man, you want to go downstairs into the boiler room?" And this is like, we're a couple drinks in. He's like, "Well, fuck yeah, I'll do it." So we're in there, and he's like, "Dude, it's the scariest thing you can possibly go in there. Like, it's crazy. It's just old, weird, creepy clown pictures and shit in there that people leave, uh, and you can just feel like a weird heaviness, especially when you're inside that pool." Yeah. Like anyone, you guys just look up the pictures of the pool. And of course they put the freaking production office like overlooking the shit. Too. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. That, that is something they do. And then you have all the Jeffrey Dahmer shit across the street. I was going to say, hotel. yeah. The ambassador. Yep. Like I, why, <laughs> why are y'all doing that? It's a great, of all the places, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the other ones. I mean, they all, they all have their own special place. Um, they're all just so different, you know? That's the thing. Like, I mean, going into like Zydeco. Oh, bro. And just knowing what Great went there. Spot. That uh-huh. is one of my favorite spots because I'm like, like you, like I'm very connected with the, the Alabama scene. And Zydeco is a spot where Riley has a lot of history. Muscadine has a lot of history. Adam Hood has a lot of history. Dude, you know, Wayne, Wayne Mills. God bless him. A lot of history. Jamie Johnson. Like everybody that's come out of that state. Just so much history and just there's something about a room with low ceilings like the dusty yeah. armadillo and roots town dude that place rules yes yeah yep. it's so, there's something about the low ceilings and especially you being a rock guy you mm-hmm. got to appreciate that like those are rock clubs that do country music yeah and you know what's funny about that you just reminded me uh do you remember crazy bull yeah oh dude god, yeah dude loved rick hill he, yeah, God he had, bless he, him. yeah he passed away recently um i think within the last year or two yeah, yeah. that was the that was the one of the the first weekend I ever spent on tour with Muscadine Bloodline, Huntsville, Alabama, and Macon, Georgia. We did Brag Jam, and, we, and I met, and I met. Um, that was the third time I met Bradley Jordan and Thomas Trainer was um, at um, Sidetracks in Huntsville, Alabama. Hell and yeah! I was just filling and selling merch. Then I got the gig the next week. But I remember going down to Macon, and it's yeah, crazy bowl. Just with that, uh, who's the production guy in there? Is it Dibbles? Oh God, I couldn't remember. Oh yeah, see, I remember all the production guys, dude. See, the thing is, you guys know this about me. Like names, forget it. Faces, I'll remember the face all day long. Um, So Bradley Jordan, yeah. So what's funny about the a place like Crazy Bowl, and that's why I was gonna lead to Brad Bradley, is you know I skipped all of those type of clubs. So and I was also in all these arenas and stadiums and stuff for a long time, and you have that infrastructure, and we get back into these things. I'm like. Oh fuck! There's like no security guards anywhere. Oh yeah, no like security, blue room. no no barricade. Oh yeah, the blue room. Statesboro, Georgia, God's, is one of my favorite place. God's on earth. country. Yeah. God bless yes. you, uh, William Bridwell, Al Chapman, yes. the blue room. We love you, the homies. Yes, I fucking love them. I spent I spent one year going to Georgia Southern. Failed out within that year, 2018 <laughs> to 2019, yeah. my freshman year. Hell yeah, blue room was my home, dude. And, and the blue room's cool too, man. Like we were doing an outdoor show. This is probably my first weekend out on on riley and uh you know we had they had security guards and they were taking care of us obviously it's, that's a no-brainer but what i blew my mind was that all the staff kept walking through the green room oh yeah that green room is not private yeah and I'm it's like, a community area I'm like hey this is not cool like we got shit in here like i was i got a little up about it and i talked to bradley and he's like we'll, we'll try and fix it you know bradley he's like oh we'll try and fix it right now and he's like dealing with like generator out shit going out and the outside and like trying to help me out with the green room thing. So like those that was a learning curve for me, man. Like I like 
wanted to really understand that type of the culture of the country music. And, and I'm really grateful for that too. Cause it, it brought me to places like crazy bull, which was just insane. It's like, you just suck a stage in the middle of whatever the shit was in there. And you just kind of crammed yourself on there. Yeah. That big, like that, that old drum set that's yeah. up there. Like the big drum, the, the drum, um, what is it? The, the, the riser things. Well, there's yeah. the riser and then the sound thing. Oh, the fishbowl thing. Yes, yeah. The fishbowl. <laughs> Oh my God. My production manager at the time, Griffin, he's like, we can't do a show in here. I said, well, we're going to do it. And everybody else has done it. So he's like, look at the fucking stage, dude. And I looked at him like, wow, this is going to be pretty tough. And, and, uh, you know, hanging out with people like Quinn, yes, like Riley's drummer, like, man, he would be like, Hey man, this is kind of how it is. Like, he's like real chill about everything. And I was like, all right. So he was like my ride or die out there a lot of times. And we were just kind of trade war stories. And, uh, but yeah, Bradley Jordan, that's that's when I met Bradley, which is crazy to think. Like, I've been in country music at that point for how many years? Since 2009. And I never met him because it just didn't, I wasn't in that circle and he wasn't in the same circle as me. Yeah. Like, he was obviously promoting big shows like that. But my gig out on Brad and Keith, I was way outside of that stuff. Uh, so getting to meet Bradley, I was like, oh, this is like a dude that's that cares about what he's doing. And cares about these artists and, you know, it's like, well, maybe I can kind of slide under and just have him be like a mentor. And he ended up being like just such a good friend to me and, and helped me through a lot of things that I was trying to figure out with even like day to day stuff with Riley stuff and, and just other things that I, like other projects I was working on. And, uh, dude, that, that dude's the, he's the man. Yeah. He's, he's been like a, like a Southern uncle to me. Yeah. Like, and Especially like he's he's been someone that I've gotten to see the scene through from doing a number of shows with with a number of Peachtree shows and like going to different festivals and always been a guy that I know I know I can call and he's just he's he's Bradley, you know, he's and and he's somebody that's done it from the owner side of a club with the Peachtree Tavern and getting guys like Cole Swindell early for a showcase, getting guys, the the four wheel drive guys, early John Langston, early Travis Denning, when Jordan Reagan and Cole Taylor were really involved in the scene to Muscadine, obviously Luke to now the generation, even now of the guys and girls that are coming up, the, the under 25s that are out there and you're seeing it too. Cause you're, yeah. you're getting to, to work on some of those projects. Like it's wild stuff, man. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the fun thing about it too, is, you know, he's, his A and R I, and he'll never say this stuff or admit it, so I'm gonna do it. So his A and R I is just so sharp, like it's crazy. And um, you know, we were talking at one point. I was like, man, like you should really consider trying to manage at some point. He's like, no, I'm not a manager, and I don't want to move to Nashville and do all that thing. Like I need to stay in Georgia for like some family stuff. And I was like, dude, I respect that, but you just got to find someone that you could trust up here to just be the guy. He's like, well, why don't you manage? And I said, well, I think about doing that, but I don't know like where to even start with who or whatever. But uh, Lane, uh, he he introduced me to Ella. Him and Bradley t- uh, introduced me to her at Zydeco. She did a show there, and that's how we met. And I was like, well, this girl Ella Langley is somebody that we should probably manage. Like, I want to manage her real bad. He's like, well, uh, she's still kind of new in the career because this is way back. I was like, all right, well, I want to keep an eye on it. And anyway, long story short, he – I convinced him to start helping me co-manage her, and and that's how we started doing it. Like he was already trying to help her out, just like any other artist that he was doing. I'm like, dude, you gotta like start figuring out a way to do this and f- keep it, like, because the thing is, he wanted to get grow these artists, and then he would send them to people, which is cool that he was doing that and doing the right thing, because he didn't feel like he was set up for it at that point. 
So now he now now we got something going on. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and he's got years of experience and knows the market and has seen it for the last decade and a half of artists growing, particularly in the southeast. And someone like Ella, proud proud um, whole pole girl. That's right. Spent some time in Auburn, Alabama. And Ella, I remember the first time I met Ella was at a kickball game here oh, in yeah. Nashville, back in the COVID kickball days. Oh, yeah. I didn't Ooh. know about that. Oh, yeah. That was how I met Trey, Ella, and all them. And they they thought of me as the the New Yorker that works with Gary and Charlie from Muscadine. So that gave me my street <laughs> cred with, right. with 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 Ella, with, um, with Trey, with Mitch Wallace, with that whole crew was – I was connected in the Alabama folks, Justin Holt, they all – gravitated towards me because i was working with an alabama act like it's that that family dynamic and stuff so what's it been like now getting from like you're not on the road anymore but you still get to go on the road for some of these like watching a girl live out her dream and just the the rocket ship is just starting to take off and it's already pretty fucking far up there dude it's crazy it's insane like we're we're spacex right now (laughs) <laughs> but again like it's it's kind of like the repeat and wash thing it's like for me it's just starting off with these artists that are good people that are just starting off and just launching them and what better person to do that with than bradley jordan i mean come on and you know ella's got a really big year coming up this year it's gonna be pretty fun watching that but um but yeah what'd you say again <laughs> i was that well well then then that that leads you you into now you've you're kind of your your oh, own yeah. boss, your Jumping own boss, your your own boss, and you're doing you're doing this workhorse thing. So what's what's yeah. that all about, and what kind of led you to do that? I love the name, by the way, because oh, you, you have to be a workhorse to succeed in this industry, dude. I, I, that's all I want to surround myself with, like Megan. Oh, dude, come on, she is the ultimate. Like, and she's a past guest on this podcast. As oh, well. really? Oh, I had dude. Megan on when I was doing this in my spare bedroom um, awesome. down down the road, and um, I was just figuring out the podcast stuff and we had her on for like our first like industry we were doing like the industry series thing and getting to hear her story and all that all that she's gone through to get to where she is from starting out as a, as a fan and like on the media side in california to now being an integral part of the scene and especially the behind the scenes stuff and yeah you talk about a workhorse Jeez. and that 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 is megan yeah that's it's crazy i met her as like she was just i don't want to downplay this but like for Bradley in this one show, I think it was Ned Kelly's we were playing. Oh, dude, fucking Milledgeville, Milledgeville Georgia, fucking Milledgeville. I got stories we talk about it all. Oh yeah, mind. I have fucking Milledgeville. I do too. Pizza Olympics, dude. Rocky, <laughs> shout out to Rocky. Yes, DJ Rock, DJ Rock. So Megan, um, you know she's a doer, dude. Like she does everything. So she was a runner on this like double header that we were doing at Ned's with with Riley, and I'm like, you are not a runner, dude. And she's like. She's like, yeah, well, you know, I do other stuff. Like, she's just trying to downplay it or whatever. And uh, I don't know. We started working with Ella. And uh, Bradley's like, yeah, Megan's going to help us out with this. I said, this is great. Because I think that she's got so much talent with everything that she does. Like, just really brilliant. I can't talk enough about her. Um, so, you know, we brought her on officially as as Ella's day-to-day manager. And uh, she's been crushing it. Like, her label services brain, that side of her brain, like working with average Joe's is so crazy. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I hit the, the 20 year mark on, on being on the road. Like it kind of blew my mind that I hit around there and I always kind of had that in my head anyway, like, you know, get this dude Riley to, to maybe play stadiums at some point before 2025 or whatever. Uh, and you know, here we are on Luke, Luke Combs and, uh, we did Dallas and I was like, okay, we did it. We're at the Cowboy Stadium. This is freaking crazy. 
And um, so we're, I'm already probably about a year and a half in with working with Ella at this point. And long story short, I mean, hit that 20-year mark back in June and stepped off and took the plunge straight into management full time. And, and uh, you know, it's been great. It's crazy. Like I, and to your point, like I can still go out and do things. Like a lot of people are like, oh, dude, like you're a road dog. Like you can't do that. Like, what do you mean I can't do that? And like, you're going to fucking hate it. You know, being at home sucks. And like, you got, like, you have that in you. Like, you need to be out on the road all the time. I said, well, I can totally do that. And then, like, literally the next week, I was out, like, on a three day run in Florida. I'm like, <laughs> there you go. I'm on tour again for this weekend. And I think that there's, there's something that I, I I'd say this gingerly because I don't want to make anybody upset or anything, but I think that there is something important the fact of, you know, managing an artist, especially someone that is at Ella's size or even smaller, like Wyatt. And intimately knowing like what that's like to be out there. You know, I, I have this saying that I've always had in my head of like, you can either break an artist or you can break an artist. So I'd rather, you know, be conscious of how much they're working and have a healthy balance on that thing. And uh, I think it's really easy to accidentally lose sight of that, especially post COVID. Like everyone, like during COVID, everyone was like, oh shit, like we've got to get after it. Like, I mean, when with COVID, we'd had no jobs. And like we had to create our own. So like, you know, with Workhorse, I, I, we purposely try not to call it a management company because we want to do a lot of different things and just be almost like a, I don't know, I don't want to say like a 360 deal that's a la carte because I don't want to pin anybody into having to do everything. But yeah, I mean, during COVID, uh, I had this buddy, uh, you know, Matt, uh, Matt Mulher. Oh, dude, hmm. I love Matt Mulher. That's yeah. that's that's my paisan. That's yeah. that's another another local uh, local eight four five boy. Yeah, he's a juchadil too. Yes. You know oh that? yeah, yeah. <laughs> love him. <laughs> so his dad, him and his dad, I've known them through the Paisley camp for years. So I probably know Matt since he was like eleven. So anyway, uh, you know, COVID, nobody had any work, so I was like, I'm going to create work, and you know, luckily we manifested enough and. I got a phone call from from Matt and uh, Matt's dad, and he's like, he goes, Jimmy, I got somebody up at West Point University that needs help. You know, I was like, okay, have you ever met his dad? I have not. I've not had the pleasure yet. All right, we're gonna we're gonna have to work on that. So he's, I was like, all right, what do you got? And he's like, I need you to put a show up at West Point, and West Point means a lot to me because like my grand my grandfather had like a dream to go there, and he was an Irish New Yorker, and and uh, as he was just about to go. Cause he's Catholic. Like that was, it checked every mark. He had to go to world war two and missed the oh, opportunity. Yeah. So I was like, are you serious? I'm going to work with West point. They're like, yeah. I was like, Oh, what's the program? They're like, you're going to have to build main street USA on their property. I was like, Holy shit. What does that mean? And so I get tied in with, uh, Dr. Matthews and a couple of the, the, uh, the, uh, generals up there. And we ended up working out a deal where it took about 15 weeks and we did a COVID safe concert on the property. I remember this. Yeah. It was, dude, it was a lot, a lot of fun to work on that. It was, uh, together we stand and basically it was, uh, mental health. Like while people were doing a lot of horrible things, uh, and going through a lot of terrible things, like this was one outlet for them to get away and like escape that reality for a little bit. So we, um, you know, my idea was just to try and bring money to the home team and like buddies and remembering Travis Denning from like that first tour that we did with Riley, I was like, all right, so I'm going to get, we're going to put Riley on here. We're going to pay him good, get all the boys paid that are out on the road. So get a little paycheck off of that. And then we're going to put Travis Denning on there and help his boys. And then we stuck Matt Mulher Jr. on there. And I think 
He was funny, man. That was like the first like big show that he ever did. I think he was felt like he was shitting razor blades out there. <laughs> it was so good, man. So we played. Uh, it was a forty four hundred cap room, and uh, we had we were legally allowed to have eleven hundred people there. Uh, we were dealing with like on the phone with like Cuomo, dealing with like he's like, what what day are you trying to do this show? And I'm like, we're doing it on nine eleven. He's like. 9-11 I said yeah 9-11 in 2020 he's like well you can't I said well it's already done like we got it and uh he's like he's like uh well we're not gonna do the lights that day I said why are you not gonna put the lights up and he's like well it's gonna have a lot of people will be gathering I'm like okay so I said well we'll just put the lights up on West Point that'll be fine we'll just do it ourselves and then get like a bunch of names so we were working with a couple couple companies down in Georgia that were uh that were dealt with like NASCAR guys and we were getting this thing together and then i don't know it was like a couple of days later he made an announcement he kept the lights up and then we did the show so it was crazy too because we had to write all the covid protocols to do a, a covid safe show so they took that information and sent it to army football ncaa and then them uh alabama won that championship that year so nick saban you owe me a ring i'm not even a fan <laughs> i just need that you won i helped you with that whether you know it or not <laughs> that's awesome so, so like i bring all that up because we were just trying to figure out creative ways of just building revenue and helping people like yeah. again helping our artists and our buddies so uh there's no idea that's like off the table on what we're trying to do in the industry but you know marketing an artist and managing an artist that's like the the everything for what we're trying to accomplish with that that's so important to for for people to have and you guys all collectively the team that that you've that you've built in yourself like you guys have more skills than just management like you guys know so many different facets of of the industry to where i, I think it is like you said i think it i think it is kind of a disservice just to call workhorse a, a management company because it's more than that it's yeah. it's it's a it's an integral part of the community that's needed like it's a big it's a big deal dude and Thank to you. have and to have folks like ella and wyatt mccoven which how'd you get which talk about wyatt for a little bit because wyatt has been nikki t brags about his first time seeing Wyatt. i know he, he talked to you about this first time he saw wyatt mccoven was at country concert years ago and it was yeah. on like the the camper stage and it was wyatt mccoven and florida georgia line and they each played two sets for at the at Fort in Fort Laramie, Ohio at yep. country concert. Dude, like, what a place. A decade ago. Like one of Nikki. It was I think it was actually it was Nikki's first time going out there. So it was like 12, 13 years ago. Man, dude, I might have been there for that. Yeah. Then. I wonder if Brad was there. Because I would have been with Paisley. Uh, that was the first time I ever met uh Charlie Daniels was there. Yeah. That dude was awesome. Yes, he, he was, was so nice. Yeah. I got to meet him at uh Rock Ribs and Ridges in Sussex County, New Jersey. It oh my gosh. Weird Southern Rock rib festival that i used to go to and i was the youngest guy by about 30 40 years oh my god <laughs> yeah yeah you were i dude i love how his guitar tech used to just be on stage with him oh yeah just was working just... on his guitars i'm like just off on, to the side he's, he's, he's on the stage he's like part of the shit it's yeah. crazy yeah. oh man that then that those are like the parts of country music i'm like that's cool shit and that reminds me of the old punk days of like we're just doing this thing and, and putting good music out there and having a good time. And it doesn't matter about the rules. Yeah. And there's so many, that rock mentality is in country music. Yes. Like it is like so party. Oh dude. I mean, you talk about it. Like I, I joke around with people, like the people that built butt rock are the people that built bro country and they're all, they're in the game. They're in the country game now too. And you see it with yeah. artists and you even see it. Like I remember Ella saying, um, at the release, uh, the release of the EP show, she was, um, she said, um, me and my friends got together and we decided to write a butt rock song. And me and Nikki, Nikki T and I looked at each other and we were like, fuck yeah, butt yeah. rock's working. Yeah, dude. That's funny. Yeah, because That's uh, why we fight. Bro. It, and, it, and it's funny, like when you go back and you listen to like that opening riff of that song, you're going to go, 
Oh yeah, that's that's pretty badass because uh, Ben Flanders, that dude's just monster. Oh, dude. monster you guitar a, player. You, you you surround yourself with good guitar playing Bens. Yeah, I just said the idea exactly. <laughs> Why are they all named Ben? That's crazy. Yeah, just different flavors of it. But yeah, uh, I mean Ben's in that scene. He plays with uh, with Scott Stapp. Yeah. So you know we got a little bit of that type of flavor in our music too, and, and that's cool, man. Like. That metal side with with Ella, like her mom is very much like into metal and oh, and Fleetwood Mac and stuff like that, and her dad is very country. Yeah, and she she's like, all right, I'm I'm mom and dad, and, and put that thing together. It's it's really cool to see that uh, that kind of bridge that. But, um, so yeah, with with Wyatt, he's just good old country boy out of Ohio. I met him it's probably the beginning of 2021, and we were out on the road with Riley. And Riley would have him come out and be an opener every once in a while. And, um, you know, him and Eric Dillon, which is another, like, oh, dude. monster. We love Dillon. We love Eric Dillon. How can he not? Yes. That dude rules, too. One of a kind, dude. God, if it wasn't for Eric, I probably wouldn't have the conversations I would have with Wyatt because he was just such a champion. Him and, and Singleton were big champions yes. of that. Yep. Um, so, you know, my approach, I, I don't like to poach people. I don't like to be aggressive. I like to just raise the hand and, like, help out like if there's anything that people need help with i'm like dude i'm i'm down to do that so with wyatt uh getting to meet him i'm like oh this like he and i hit it off right away like we're just buddies and um you know he's done some stuff in in, uh in his career that you know we just kind of worked through and uh and at one point he hit me up he's like i think it's time i said what's the time he goes i I think we should try to do this thing like I, i just I'm just really worried about getting signed to something. I'm like, okay, well, here's the thing. You're not signing anything. I don't care about contracts. It doesn't matter. If you like working with me, cool. If you don't, that's cool. Uh, and the same thing goes the other way too. Like if you're not doing your job then like, what are we doing really? Right. And he's like, dude, I'm ready to get after this. And like, I wonder if there's like a world where I could do like a trial period of, of something. I was like, well, let's just work on a project together and get that off the ground. Um, so anyway, uh, I said, what are some of the things you're trying to accomplish? He's like, I, I need guitar strings. I'm, I've just finished up with, with, uh, Cameron Marlowe. And, uh, I just need, I, I just don't want to be spending like 30 bucks on guitar strings every once in a while. I was like, okay, boop, 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 little email. Boom. Now he's got a string deal that's getting worked out now, which is great. Uh, what's another thing you're trying to do? He's like, oh, I would really like to try to meet some of these folks over at the Opry. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. So Jordan, I met Jordan Bennett and I hung out with him bunch of times I was talking to him about why and next thing you know like they're in a meeting with Opry Dan hanging out having beers yeah so and I like I didn't feel like I needed to be at that meeting because that what do I need to be there for you know why it's the guy so they hit it off they did well and he got to meet the Opry folks and he's like he's like man like we just need to keep this ball going I was like all right well what do you have music wise he goes dude I've written 500 and blah, blah, blah amount of songs. I'm like, I bet you did. Like, you're crazy. He's got cuts. Like, for anybody that doesn't know why, I mean, he's got cuts on Riley's new record. I think he's like, what is that, uh, Copenhagen and the Cadillac? Yep. He's got that one, which is a great song with Jelly Roll. Um, he's got uh, Hell of a Way, Put Him on Mine. Uh, there's like a fourth one I can't remember right now. But he's got a lot of that stuff going on. I think he's working a lot of different artists. So he's got a really sharp mind with that. And... Um, I don't know. It's just, it just makes a lot of sense for us to work with him. He just wants to get after. It. He's a genuine dude. He plays real country music. 
and he's got a great outlook on what his career looks like. And plus, he's still young enough to be able to go and crush this yeah, thing. That's the thing. He's been in the game for a while, but he's still Dude. so young. And he hasn't even like scratched the surface of where he's going to be. Yeah, he's like uh, immortal or something. I, it's crazy. <laughs> like He told me one day, he's like, yeah, I've been doing this for like 10 something years. I'm like, so you started when you were like seven. Like, what the hell? And he's like, no, 14, idiot. Like, <laughs> so, but that's, that, that's funny stuff. But yeah, he's been around for a long time. He's been in the industry. I mean, he's got... A lot of people that want to champion him, just like Ella. I mean, how can you not want to champion people like those guys? Like they're just great. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we're just we're just starting to get the ball rolling with Wyatt. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that whatever we're doing with Workhorse, that we don't overexpand too quick. Because I think the other thing too is, you know, backing to the mental health aspect of, of life, I also don't want to wear anybody of my team out. Like bandwidth, I think is a really important thing. So. You know, I don't want to bring too many artists on and then our team's just like, well, we can't handle the workload. Like I'm working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not good. So, um, yeah, Wyatt's got a um, an EP coming out this weekend, uh, Friday, and then it'll lead into like a full length of Q1 of next year. Hell so, yeah. Yeah. Tape Room and Egg Room have been helping him out with that pretty much. It's, it's an interesting dynamic with that, too. You know, you go from with Ella uh, signed to Columbia. And then it's just it, it's just a totally different. It's almost like the like punk rock, like they just no rules. It's awesome. Yeah. So that's what we're doing with Wyatt. That's awesome. You got anything you want to ask, Mister Peyton? Yeah, I was just curious, going all the way back to like your tour managing days and whatnot, like the transition from tour managing and production assistant to artist management. Like, what did you take from tour management and your previous experiences to just jumping right into artist management? Because it takes a certain person to be able to manage an artist. So, yeah. like, what what experiences did you bring in? What were like the main points that you learned throughout your time on the road to come and settle down, just doing artist management? I think like a really easy answer for that for anybody that's like trying to come up through it is like being a PA and even a tour manager. Like, you're one way or another, you're some type of an extension of what management is trying to accomplish, and you're just facilitating and and pulling the trigger on everything that they need, and that's. And that touches everything like with Brad as his PA slash road manager or whatever it ended up like the title didn't really matter just how it worked out. Like I was in the room dealing with all the radio people every day, like P PA uh, PMs and, and uh, MDs. So like learning that type of record label stuff and just like putting that in my mind and then how to logistically get a PJ to fly you from stagecoach to Pittsburgh in an overnight to go do a stadium show, like putting all those types of pieces together with like production managers that are really sharp. Like you just try to learn all those things. And if, as long as you keep trying to learn, then that's, that's all the tools that you need to be a manager. And I mean, there's a lot of other things like relationship stuff that you need to have and, and people that you meet and, you know, just being open-minded to, to talking to folks and asking questions. I think that's, that was really, I guess the linchpin for that for me, it's just to keep learning. And I think, you know, with Brad and into Riley, I think that's like a five-year turn, plus all the other years of me doing it in different aspects. So hopefully that answered that right. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. You so. did. So what do you like to do when you're not doing music-related stuff? Jeez. I know you are a big hockey fan. Huge hockey no, fan. You're, you're a pizza connoisseur. Dude, I played hockey in, in middle school and college. RIP to that. Dude, I tried. Where'd you, where'd you go to college? Uh, LIU. Okay, yeah. So Southampton. Yep. 
So I'm, I looked at uh, CW Post and yeah. I looked at um, Hofstra for college. I ended up not going. Those were my only trips to Long Island were to look at those schools, and I never, dude, never went out there. Dude, I forgot about CW Post. Holy shit! Yeah, I, I was uh, torn between going to Penn State, uh, Notre Dame, or uh, just stay local. And I just stayed at LIU. Yeah, there's the Irish Catholic coming out. Notre, yeah. <laughs> Notre Dame. It's <laughs> funny stuff. I used to put that on my resume. It'd be like college went to Notre Dame. I didn't freaking lie. I went there once. Yeah. Did a show there. <laughs> fucking awesome. South Bend, baby. So, yeah, shout out to resumes. Yeah, and you go so you go to a lot of you go to a lot of Preds games, but you're an, you're an avid Rangers fan as well. I am. Yeah. So that's kind of the hard part, man. I grew up as a Rangers fan, man. Uh I was just talking about this uh the other day. Uh I remember like actively becoming a hockey fan in second grade. Uh I had a teacher, Mr. Kaplan, he's still alive too. He's kicking it. I was talking to my dad about him uh, over Thanksgiving. Um, but yeah, we had like in school, we had to separate the class into four different reading groups. And I was, I was on the Rangers and I was like, what the hell is that? And I was like, that's sick. So um, yeah, I used to go to a lot of Rangers games back in the nineties. That oh, shit was saw, crazy. Yeah, you, you see, I was, I was born in between the Yankees winning in 96 <sighs> and the Rangers winning in 94 and the Knicks being in the, um, being in the finals. Like, yeah. so I only, get to go back and watch and watch highlights but Shit. i was like, old and dusty man i'm old dusty. but like but like the 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 messier brian yeah. leach yeah the, man um the moose yes dude i mean this just the that era of of hockey like we got to go to the game last night and it was fun we were way we were up up in the up in the nosebleeds but there's something about just being at a hockey game yeah dude even minor league hockey's fun we had a, yes. i went to Ryder university for college in central new jersey and we yeah, had yeah. a club hockey team division two club hockey was it and it was just it was like slap shop bro it was Hell so yeah. much fun they used to it was just but even watching those like there's just something about the sport of hockey that's special and it's another thing like you talk about workhorse like, like grinding hockey yeah. is a grind too just like this yeah. music thing is it totally is, man. 60 minutes of, of craziness and chaos. Uh, you know, people have asked me back at home, they're like, oh, so you go to Predators games a lot, huh? And I was like, yeah, well, I mean, it's cool to be at these games. And they're like, well, what's the crowd like? I'm like, well, when I first started going, I don't think anyone really understood what the sport was, which totally understandable. And uh, now, like, Nashville is just such a hockey town, dude. Like, the way that I describe the crowd, it's like, 1990s Madison Square Garden Ranger games that I remember vividly, but with a lot less cursing. Yes, they <laughs> like are a southern. lot. Less. They are Southerners. Yeah. Yes, a lot, of, lot of families. We're very proper. Yes, yes. A lot of, yes. lot, lot of, lot of families, dude. And it is, yeah. it is a very much a hockey town. Like, it is, and, it, and it's funny because you would think the football team would be bigger, but and what's cool is we can root for the Predators and we can root for the Rangers. Yes. not not this Saturday, not December second, not, not December second, but um, but we can root for each of them because the beauty of Eastern Conference and Western Conference. That's right. Yeah, there is a little bit of yeah. We're we're safe for now. Yeah, I have see, a feeling it's gonna change though. Really? How so? What do you? They're gonna redo everything? You think? Who knows, man? There's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, shit. It's so close to the East Coast. Think about that. And look where Calgary is. Calgary is in like basically Egypt. Yeah. Like imagine them having to travel everywhere. They're like the Saddle Dome is nowhere. Like they have long trips. That's why they do so bad. Yeah. Because they're just on the plane all the time. Yeah. And then they're talking about putting a baseball team here, which I would. I mean, but it's like it, for it's going to happen. It's overdue. Yeah, for long me, overdue. For me, it's for me, it has to be a National League team because I still want to root for my Yankees. I can't. Like it's tough because I'm. I, you're. You're. A Yan are you a Yankees guy as well? Yeah, I'm the weirdo. So I like the Mets and Yankees. Oh. I'm weird, dude. I grew up as a Mets fan because my uncle thought it was cool. And Long then, Island kid. It makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I was like, uh, this is really rad in high school when we were just winning all the oh, time. Oh, the 80s, yeah. Dude, what, the, like, it was like 96, 98. Oh, the like, Piazza days. Hell yeah. yeah. I, dude, I would skip out of Yankees. I would skip out of school and go to the parade. Like when the Rangers won, went to that parade. Like imagine being like in sixth grade and you just jump on a on a freaking train into New York City by yourself. And you're in the, and you're in the Canyon of Heroes. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's fucking crazy climbing telephone poles. Yeah. 12 years old. Yeah. And, and, he, and the Yankees had a bunch of parades back then. Yeah, dude. It was, it was like a year. It was like a yearly tradition. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's like, all right. Well, the, I, you know what's funny about that? I remember now, geez, that sparked a memory. They literally closed the school down that day that the parade was going to happen because they knew that everybody was going to jump out in high school. That's a fact. True fact. Fact check that. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, the 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 predators. Um, we've nicknamed it as like the the girlfriend team. You know, I'll always be a Rangers fan forever. That's the, just the, the, Gumar, the Gumar. That's yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this uh, this is gonna be funny. December second, Rangers Predators. Uh, Preds are six games in a row winning. Yeah, they looked good. Forsberg ten, like ten seconds into overtime last night, net and that and. It was cool watching them play the Pens too, because you have all those old guys on that team. Yeah, the 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 um, the end of that, and if they didn't have the expansion draft, they probably still would have had Flurry too. Well, yeah, I mean, there's yeah, that's a lot of crazy stuff. Anytime I go to a Pens game, this is something that I know that Nikki T's gonna hate. I'm sorry, but I like me. So we have seatmates now. Like we just become buddies with people. Yeah, that you sitting around. The beauty of the season ticket package. Yeah, you yeah, know, you, you know your neighbors. It's a neighborhood, dude. They're awesome. So like last night, we we had six tickets. I only have two normally. So, you know, we just went out there, but I'll give everybody these like sheets of paper that have scores on them. So every time that Crosby falls down or gets hit and just dives, we put the diving scoreboards up every time. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. It's true. Malkin was diving last night. Oh, Old Russians. I, what I love about him is that he still acts like he doesn't know English. He still does the Sammy Sosa, oh, you know, yeah. speaky English bullshit. Oh, He's dude. like, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Just so he can skip out on pressers. He's been doing that for 20 years. I guess that's kind of smart, though, so you don't have to keep talking to folks about things. I mean, what are you going to talk about next? Like, yeah, we dove again. Yeah, of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> the Pittsburgh diving team. <laughs> oh, dude, that's what I'm saying. They're like Olympically trained. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I used to have this conspiracy theory about Kansas City, about being like the place where they would put the Penguins eventually. And it's funny because when they opened up that arena, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head right now. Um, it used to be called the Sprint Center, which Sprint back then, that's Penguins colors. Yep. And at one point, they were gonna, there was talks about them moving over there, and they built that arena. And the colors of the seats are like that weird muted gold color in black. I might have fact-checked that with somebody, and it was confirmed that they were supposed to go there to Kansas City. And then, I guess, Mario Lemieux ended up being like part owner of the team, and they kept them there. Yeah. So that's pretty cool I did that. But the expansion team, like what you were talking about before, I truly think that 26 or 27, that's we will have like probably the Tampa Bay Rays here, and they'll be called the National Stars. That's my guess. I'd put money on that. Why the Rays? It's their an, contract's up on their uh, stadium. That's like Baltimore's contract was up, but they just renewed it. That was the other they're one. Like, I was oh, sh- they're like, oh, shit. They're like, oh, shit. Baltimore. See, I would love for the Pittsburgh Pirates to come here because nobody Stop gives a saying that nobody shit. gives a fuck about <laughs> them I'm in a Pittsburgh. Huge, I'm a huge Pittsburgh it's, fan. It's a beautiful stadium that is on the river, so why not build another beautiful stadium, do the Philly thing where you put all the stadiums in the same fucking parking lot, and then you could still have it on the river, have the beautiful Nashville skyline instead of the Pittsburgh skyline, and you could have people that will actually go to the games. Nobody gives that much <laughs> fuck about the Nashville skyline. It's not <laughs> as pretty as the Pittsburgh skyline. <laughs> PNC Park. It is a pretty cool park. It is. That's it one is. of my See, favorites. It's not, it's it's not going, going anywhere. I've been, I've been wanting to go. 
for forever. I've never been to been? Pittsburgh. Oh. That's like there's two things I have to do to fully be a firm owner of Razor Rowdy. I have to go to the city of Pittsburgh where okay. Razor Rowdy was incepted, and I have to get a Razor Rowdy tattoo. Those are the two things I'm missing. You gotta say Yins. Mickey T's got yeah, and Yins hanging out. Oh yeah, the... oh yeah. What was that? I I, I kind of remember that name. Yin, yins Yinzer? guy. Yeah, they just say Yins they, oh, instead of like yeah. you guys. They go Yins guys want to get a beer. Yins guys want to oh. go downtown. Love no. Yins. It's Hell just yeah. yeah, it's just Midwestern. They're confused if they're Midwestern or or East Coast. You know, it's like that weird Appalachian shit. Um, and, you've been in, and you've been in Nashville for how many years now? Mm, I think I we officially moved to probably 2013. Okay, so yeah, ten, ten year town. Shit, and you're here ten years, bro. That is a very real thing. Like a ten year town, that's very real. That's yeah. absolutely real. And anybody that thinks they're gonna like jump in and just be something at some point, like right away, smoke around. Yeah, because I, I just hit my five year mark. And so look I'm at like you. halfway through, and I'm, and I'm still figuring it out. But we're growing this thing and, and figuring it out. But in 10 years of being here, do you see yourself going anywhere else? No. I mean, no. Unless I become like crazy rich and just disappear into the wilderness. That's what I'm saying. I hit the, lo- <laughs> I hit the lottery ticket. I'm, I'm out of here. Going to Sag Harbor, baby. Yeah, where, where would you go? If you hit the lottery and you just bounced, where would you go? Who, Matt? Yeah, where would you go? And for any of you. I'd do a farm very, very far away so nobody could fuck with me. But then I'd also have a spot like on the beach. See, I like the beach idea too. So mine, like, mine would be Sag Harbor. I love that little town. It's like on the island, Where's middle of nowhere, Long Island, uh, like small place. That I, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. You want to do the Hamptons? Insane. You're not a Hampton. So I got a weird Hampton story. So like my my grandparents, they grew up insanely poor, like bad, bad poor. My grandmother, she would uh, sew mattresses back in like the 40s and 50s, saved all this money up, and she bought two little beach cottages for like 30 grand. And then, that, like back then, that's not too bad for the Hamptons. So it was like the 60s. So we had beach house out there. And then my uncle built that place up. Like to like he started doing real estate there. And and now it's like you can't even, I can't even think about having a house there. Like the smallest house, like the size of this room, would be like four million dollars. Oh yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? Right now? Crazy. Yeah. But the, I like the idea of the farm thing. Uh, I bought about 90 acres just south of here, about two hours south. Uh, oh really? Right around COVID. Yeah. Got it for a good deal, and uh, it has not been touched since like for a hundred something years. So is it over the, is it, it's not over the Bama border, is it? It's almost, almost. Oh, so you're right there. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I and know what, where you're at. And what's cool about it is there's no address. It's just GPS coordinates. I'm like, yep, hell yeah. That's what you want. That's right. You still have it? Oh yeah. <laughs> you got deer on it? Oh shit. Do I have deer? Do I, I have deer? I got turkey. Bigfoot's probably running around out there. Dude, dude, it's crazy. I I definitely walked up on a, like an old still. Like it hasn't been touched forever. Uh, town historian, he's funny. He's like works out of this like f- like old jail in uh, Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you you bought one fifth of the town. I'm like, what do you mean one fifth of the town? So I was talking to Quinn, drummer for Riley. I was like, hey man, I, this dude told me I bought one fifth of this town. And uh, he joked about me being the mayor of the place, like being funny. And I was like, do you want to be the mayor of the town? He goes. Yeah. <laughs> so, mayor Quinn. Mayor Quinn. Dude, can you imagine? Dude, Quinn as mayor would be awesome. He would be the best. He would be the best. He's like, what's around there? I was like, oh, I think there's like a little small little town called West Point that's just north of there, ironically enough. <laughs> that's north of there that's got this hemp fest and it's just like a bunch of like ancient hippies just get high on that river and on the river there. He goes, Oh, I'm down. I'll, I'll, I'll be the mayor. I'll, I'll, I'll mayor the hell out of that. These are, these are my people. These are my people. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's funny stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, th- I think I want to try and build something on there at some point. And just as long as I got internet, that's all I really need. Yes, I keep working. Yeah, that is that is important stuff, dude. Well, I don't think I can stop working. Yeah, right. That's like that's the bug. 
the bug bites you and you can't stop. You can't stop working. That's what keeps you young. You're like, what does your day to day look like? Shit, chaos. I mean, it's just busy. I don't even know how to even answer that. I mean, you know, wake up, start with the hundred something emails to kind of filter through and uh, team meetings and planning. I mean, it's just every day. It's kind of tough, though. The only thing that's tough is like still working out of the house, like having an office at the house like, just to save the money. I don't I don't want to spend five to ten grand a month on on rent. Yeah, that's crazy. So. But yeah, it's just a lot, a lot of conversation stuff getting out there and just trying to get Ella's name out there, Wyatt's name, and just trying to build and build, build, build. That's all we're trying to do. Well, dude, I'd say you're doing a pretty, pretty dang good job of doing that, man. Well, like, I appreciate it. I can't do it without my guys, though. I mean, Bradley and, and Megan being on the Ella team, like, there's no way. Like, they're just, they, they are workhorses as well. And like, I'm just going to keep surrounding myself with folks like that, like people like you guys. Like, it only makes sense, dude. That's what it's all about. We appreciate you coming on dude, here, dude. And I, you were saying you haven't you haven't done one of these, right? No, never. Well, dude, we're happy to pop the podcast cherry, and we'll Thank have to you. do we'll have to do it do it again. Maybe do a workhorse special or something. I don't know. We'll do one in the future. We'll hey, do another one. Cool. Maybe maybe get you on a live pod that we do. We do those. We're getting ready to do with um, do some like industry based things with Peyton's pod with with um, behind the music biz um, that we're we're looking to do like some like happy hour like social kind of stuff networking yeah. networking events, networking events cool. and have and having folks that have a lot of have a lot of years in the game like yourself and yeah coaching coaching people up you know there's Dude, a lot I, of that that's what i see about you guys too like not just because i'm sitting here but i do think about this pretty often like people like nikki you man like all you guys are like the new generation of the ward from whiskey jam yeah yeah which is also like Bradley. Yeah. I call Ward I call Ward the godfather. He is. And you know, I was talking to Opry at this one point. Uh I was like, you know, it'd be cool. What if what if y'all did something where, you know, you have Opry members, but what if it was like industry people, like people like Bradley Jordan and Ward, like this wouldn't be happening right now with those without those two dudes. Like, oh my God, like I guess you might be right. That's that might be a thing. I said, I will make it my damn creed to try and figure out a way to get Bradley and Ward, at least Bradley, because uh, of how close I am. I mean, Ward needs to be on there too, because he deserves it. But at least those two guys to get like in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, like, yeah. Con- like they've done so much. Yeah, so much. Yeah, country music wouldn't be the same without what those guys have done over the last decade and a half, two decades. Like it's crazy. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there that deserve it too, but like those two, like always, like in my mind of like they need to be like the first class. They're Hoffs, dude. They're Ward, Hoffs. Ward's yeah. a celebrity in my eyes. When I first came yeah, to town, is. I saw Ward. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Fuck, what kind of watch is he wearing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I, I saw Morgan Wallen at Losers and I still wasn't even that shocked. I was just like, that, that's Ward. Yeah, they do. That's the thing. Like those like those guys, I keep beating them up, but like Ward and, and Bradley, they've got such an eye for A&R. They just know what's up. Yeah. So, so and what a great platform to be on, like Peachtree stuff and and uh, and Ward's Whiskey Jam thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, Ray's Rowdy's right there, dude. Yeah, we're, we're, we're trying, man. We appreciate yeah. being in that Sorry. conversation and we, we just... We're, we always say we're, we're artist friendly, we're, we like, we like being a little silly with it and, um, like just being good members of the community. when you think of the folks that are out there paying for those four day camping passes at Damn. country concert in Fort Laramie, at rock the South, at, at rock the country this year, at any of those big festivals. And you see those folks in the front row for the side stage for the main stage. That's us. You know, yeah. we're, we're the guys at the side stage watching the yellow Langley's watching the Wyatt McCubbins watching the guys and girls on the come up. And we pride ourselves in that dude. But where can people go to find you on on the social medias? Oh, Instagram, I guess, would be uh, the James Vincent. 
these James Vincent. Just keep it simple, I <laughs> yeah. guess, right? Hmm. I couldn't come up with some kind of crazy screen name. And then uh, Workhorse, just Workhorse Artists. Sweet. Yeah, it's Instagram on there, too. Hell yeah, dude. Well, I'm yeah. around. Yeah, you are around. I try not to be. I hide sometimes. Yeah, and we got and we got a we got a link up soon. The family's coming back in town, so we Hell might have yeah. to link you up with a for a pasta dinner, dude. For the gabagool. That's the, right. Yeah, the penne, penne alla vodka and chicken cutlets. That's right. Antipasta, not charcuterie. Boy. Yes, antipasta. Exactly. Antipasta. People don't fucking get it down. That's right. And it's not pasto either, dude. It's pasta. I'm it sorry. is pasta. I'm sorry. Yes, That's just it, is. it is antipasta. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, y'all be sure to check out our boy Jim Prisco Workhorse. Um, they're doing some great things. And um, we appreciate you so much for coming on, bro. Thanks, dude. Y'all be sure to check out our boy Peyton Heben with the music behind the music biz, um, the first ever Raise Rowdy Suits podcast, as we're calling it. I'm um, getting all the suits on there. We just dropped episode one with uh, Churro, right? Yep. And it comes out every. We're doing every Tuesday, right? I think every Tuesday, eight. 8 a.m.? Yeah, 8, 8, 8 a.m. They're releasing every Tuesday. We're starting out on audio right now, but we're going to be getting the video kinks worked out and getting Peyton's pot up there. So I know a lot of folks in the music industry watch this stuff and uh, a lot of kids starting out. Um, some great nuggets of knowledge from our boy Jim, and um, you'll be able to find a lot of that kind of stuff on Behind the Music Biz with our boy Peyton Heben. Uh, appreciate you guys and girls watching, listening. As always, you'll be sure to check out our friends from Whale Tail Media, Saxman Studios, and our boy Mitch Wallace with the Digital Marketing Agency. You want to know more about us? Visit RaisedRowdy.com. For my boy Jim, for my boy Peyton, I'm Matt Brill. This has been Outside the Round. <laughs>